if the U.S. government, the media, the legal system, and the church can't keep democracy alive. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this. Welcome back to a state sale. I'm Lori Lattimore Volkman. And I'm Brad Rayleigh. Today, we're going to break down all the ways Kamala Harris kicked Mike Pence's ass in the VP debate. We'll talk more about our unhinged COVID president and remind you the best way to end this nightmare is to go vote. But first, the debate. Basically, all polls that exclude Fox News co-hosts gave the debate to Kamala. Of course, we're on her side, but Brad, what do you think she ultimately accomplished last night, assuming that her performance didn't seem to change opinions on the top of the ticket too much? Yeah, my guess is that it doesn't it doesn't move the dial in terms of how people see uh, Joe, but it does. I One of my friends on Facebook made this point. I think it's really apt is that Kamala, for one thing, she stayed on message with what Joe wants to talk about. I mean, she highlighted the issues about the Trump administration's irresponsibility on COVID. I mean, cl- she mentioned climate change. I mean, there were a lot of things where she could have followed up, but but she did that. She she really pushed what is the agenda of the of the Biden uh, uh, Harris campaign. She also demonstrated, I think, a fitness for the office. I mean, just sort of she showed that she belonged up there in this in this in the face of a very misogynistic, condescending twerp. And I, you know, I mean, yeah. I think, I think that's the one thing that uh, we, you and I have been honest about this and, and we lament it, but the misogyny in this country, and it includes a lot of Democrats. And then you add in race, there are people in this country who I think at some level are just uncomfortable with a woman being that close to the, to the Oval Office. And I think Kamala showed herself real well. I mean, she, you know, I mean, one of the things I'm hoping is after these last couple of years of Lindsey Graham and and Brett Kavanaugh and Donald Trump acting like spoiled children, uh, like spoiled like act, frat boys. Yes, acting acting, but uh, you know that this whole idea that women are too hysterical. I know it's still out there, but surely she showed uh, a sense of restraint. You know, she was she was moderate in her tone. She never lost her cool. Um, so I I think she accomplished exactly what her goal was to accomplish and our assumption that somehow she was going to make Mike Pence cry. That was my hope. Of course, we all wanted that. But in that, we forgot that, in fact, Mike Pence, besides being a pathological liar, is actually a pretty good debater. Uh, and it helps to be uh, a good debater if you're a pathological liar because you have <laughs> no compunction in saying things. But, you know, he was he was unlike <clears throat> his boss he was actually prepared. You know, he was anticipating things that Kamala was going to bring up. Um, and then he did. He responded disingenuously and dishonestly. But, you know, he wasn't Trump. He was he was prepared and um, had a plan of attack. And I think if you're a Republican, you looked at that last night and and sort of sighed a little bit just because out of all of the shit show that we've seen over the last month, Mike Pence was less of that. If you're a Trump supporter, which clearly we're not. So right. does, that, does that make sense to you? Yeah. And I think some of what Kamala accomplished was what she didn't do, as you kind of alluded to. She, because, so I said she kicked his ass in the opening, but 
she didn't do the knock down, drag out kind of prosecutorial thing that we come to know her for in the democratic debates and as an attorney general and in the Senate. But that was by design because mm -hmm. had she done that, all we'd be talking about was her being an angry woman mm -hmm. and Trump's tweet about her being a monster would have taken hold. Instead, it's like, no, she was very, very calm and made her points and was direct and was assertive, but she was not some out of control bitch as they would have you know, tried yes. to portray her. And hey, so hey. I think she, as, exactly as you said, she, she accomplished also maybe a sigh of relief from people who are afraid of what could happen if a misogynistic man gets in there and gets in her face. Luckily, we know she is not daunted by that. She has been dealing with that nonsense her whole life, but she also did it in a very professional way last night and did look exactly like someone who should be in the White House. Yeah, two things. I thought I agree with that completely. I thought that most women in the country were recognizing men talking on top of them. Yeah. Um, certainly Lisa made that comment. I read this everywhere on, on Twitter. And she responded with um, some really nice shade, but not, you know, losing her cool or complaining or anything like that, even yeah. though she had ample room to complain. I mean, I, I, I feel for the moderators in these situations, but Susan Page didn't do much better than Chris Wallace. I mean, it, it, Pence. She was not, she was not successful either in like shutting Pence up, but I thought she, you know, she still did inter interject that, you know, he needed to stop. And that, yeah. that resonates with people watching. I mean, they realize he's going over time and he's talking over yeah. her. Like you said, I'm sure really nothing changes for the people who already decided on who they're voting for. If you're middle of the road, I think two things come true last night. Whether you make up your mind or not, you heard talk of some of the policies and the issues, mm -hmm. which we never even hardly got to Last a week ago because yeah. Trump was too busy being a baby. But Kamala was able to talk about the COVID response, about foreign policy, about the economy, about health care, about the Supreme Court. They didn't get enough into many of those, in my opinion, but it allowed you to at least have a pretty good idea of where they where everybody stands. So you can't act like you have no idea what they what they stand for. Yeah. I was also thinking, by the way, your point last week about how these debates are not set up correctly. Still very true. I mean, it, it you know, it, when it started, I had these hopes of actually delving into some policy issues. And that was, of course, ridiculous. The, the time limits are in, in one way too short and too long. Um, and again, it, it really is, it's, it's all the things you pointed out. It's still, even though this was less of a shit show than last week, <laughs> it's still about sort of measuring some kind of likability or, yeah. you know, in the case of Pence, it was just him throwing all sorts of conspiracy things at the wall of it. There was an interesting piece in, I want to say the New Yorker this morning that said, Last night was their first instinct that tr that Pence had become essentially Trump-like. 
that he's always been he's always been this smarmy lying piece of shit honestly i mean he always has he's the governor who oversaw you know an aids outbreak in indiana because he's an idiot and a christian <laughs> fundamentalist but last night he he followed the trump line he was snide and rude and abusive and threw these you know accusations out without any kind of merit and i and i think he in terms of moving the dial, I mean, like I said, he I think he made some some Trump voters happy, but he showed himself for who he was. And, you know, it again. But I'm sorry, that's we were still talking about the design of the debate. The design of the debate was still flawed. And there was no way, even if Susan Page had held their feet to the fire and everything else, you still weren't going to get the kind of discourse that you articulated, I think, last week very well that we would like from these debates. And we're just simply not going to get them. We're. Also not going to get it because we have two people, Trump and Pence, who are only there to lie because they have nothing else. But it is so hard to debate when one group is going on a set of false information that they are purposely putting out there versus a ticket that is trying to talk about what actually is and the facts we know and science. And you you're on two parallel planes and you you cannot debate that. And it's impossible to navigate that as a, as a moderator, other than to just constantly say, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. And I, that's why I argued the moderator really needs to be able to do that. And I think it's an impossible thing to be able to do in that setting, but you cannot have a legit debate if one group is debating something that we're not even talking about as facts and another group is trying to talk about look, this is what is going on. This many people have died. This many people are out of jobs. This many people are going to lose their, their health care. And you have another guy going, we shut down China. So we did everything yeah. we needed to for the COVID response. I mean, it's freaking ridiculous. It, it was interesting that part, because, you know, you, you and I have talked about for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some of the weaknesses in the, in the Trump campaign. And one of them, the biggest glaring one that has been made more glaring since last uh Thursday night's news of, of uh, uh, President COVID is, you know, is is his mishandling of, of the coronavirus, where in every poll, he's underwater against Joe Biden over that. And so what what Pence did last night is double down on that. He he made the same false claims. He refused to address the fact that they knew the virus was was deadly. He didn't even address the fact that what 18 or 19 people in the campaign and the immediate uh, circle of Trump have tested positive, you know, I mean, so, so it feels like that he did exactly what has been a losing game so far with Trump. So, you know, I'm sure it made Trump happy. Um, that's really <laughs> who, who Pence is playing for. And, you know, the base isn't, isn't going to move, but at the end of the night, I have to say, I felt, and I, I posted something about this on Facebook. I felt triggered myself because of his fundamentalist Christian lying that contradiction is is and i and i thought of people i grew up with in church church leaders who could tell me to my face that i wasn't feeling or observing what i was observing and could do so with a bible verse and a and a smug look and a breathy kind of christianese kind of thing and and i saw that in in pence and spades you know, at the end of the day, I'm sorry I watched it just because it was it was very uh, toxic for me. I really did appreciate Kamala really trying to to manage in the middle of of this insanity. But um, I'm hoping this is the last debate. I'm hoping we're done with this because this is 
you know, I, I, I don't think it's accomplishing much, you know. It's accomplishing nothing. It is accomplishing nothing. All it is is triggering both sides and both yeah. sides claim a win. And a win versus loss here is kind of an insane proposition anyway. But mostly all it does is we all lose. <laughs> we yeah. all lose in the at the end of the day. One thing that I thought about with Pence, and I think you were basically seeing the same thing, as he is being his smarmy kind of Trumpian self, but in a very reserved, more professional manner, you recognize the subtlety of, of his insanity, his misogyny, his racism, his Christian fundamentalism is far more dangerous than Trump. And I've always thought that. I always thought his ability to kind of make you think he sounds more rational will be ultimately more dangerous because he things will not be out in the open the way they are with yeah. Trump. And we, we see who Trump is constantly and it's infuriating, but at the same time, at least we can deal with it because we mm. see him screwing up and contradicting himself and breaking the law and, you know, telling people to break the law. And it's like, yeah. you can, you can fight that. Somebody like Pence who is sitting back there with that smug look and cutting off Kamala and, and being a jerk, but doing it in a way that you have to be paying attention. Trump, you don't have to pay attention. He's just bashing Biden and interrupting and saying stupid, ridiculous things. And Pence is saying dangerous things. Yeah. When he is asked a question or is, you know, Kamala is talking about how Trump is in the Supreme Court trying to take away pre-existing conditions and their plan with ACA is to get rid of it and their plan is to take away your health care. He's over there just shaking his head. Yeah. And that sends a message, you know, and I, to the people who are undecided, to the people who don't know, I think that's a, you know, a troubling kind of thing to watch. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, that's where it drives me nuts. That's when the moderator needs to step in and say, uh, no, Mr. Vice President, right. your boss has his name on a court case right now in the Supreme Court asking to take away pre-existing conditions and to, yeah. to get, because he wants to get rid of ACA. You know, when he's doing those kinds of things, when he's interrupting her, it's just a subtle message of white male domination. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't get told as much the next day. So it's not as obvious to us. And that's a, you know, it's dangerous because that's kind of why we are where we are in our country, in our society yeah. right now, because of white Christian men like him yeah. who keep people down. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, in terms of the debate, debate accomplishing anything, or, I mean, we, we both agree there's nothing really substantive. Last week's debate, however, caused uh, Trump's uh, polling to go down. I mean, right. people did not like his responses. This week, I think the poll, the, the debate itself was probably uh, a push when it came to, to that. But then the next morning, this morning, Trump goes on Fox uh, on a television or a phone interview with somebody over there and proceeds to just go completely unhinged. And I have to think that the pollsters and the people in his campaign 
every time he does that, they're like, fuck, what are you doing, man? I mean, we actually had a, you know, it wasn't a great night, but it, it was not a, it was not a, a shit show. And then you go on and start, he's shouting about arresting Hillary Clinton. He's shouting about, he's calling, uh, uh, Kamala. He, evidently I didn't listen to the, he called her a monster. He called her a monster multiple times, called her a communist. Yeah, you know, I mean, he was, called for investigations of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he proceeds to uh, I agree with you that that Pence is more subtle. I think there was there was a lot of people taking away his rudeness towards Kamala. But I agree with you in the sense that some of the more dangerous things that he alluded to or just shook his head at are not highlighted as much. Um but then Trump comes again and, and does what he does, which is to say the quiet part loud and, and to just, you know, scream it. Let me just add that what's interesting is I think last night, while Penn says we're not in favor of political division or something along those lines, Trump is tweeting, you know, essentially investigate Barack Obama right, <laughs> after right. Clinton. It's like, really? Are you, did you talk to your boss about that? Because no. I'm pretty sure he is all about that. And my favorite commentary today on the debate was about the fly that landed on Pence's head, which of course is ridiculous again. And this is where TV, we get lost in some insane detail that has nothing to do with what these two candidates stand for. But David Frum, a known conservative, pointed it out as the ultimate metaphor for Mike Pence. He has this fly on his head that the world is obsessing with, you know, Twitter and people on television are, are noticing this and it, the fly is stuck in his head for two minutes and Pence seems to not notice it one bit. Meanwhile, he's, he's downplaying that there's any potential systemic racism and glosses over the question and goes on to talking about violence and looting at riots. Yeah. as his way to answer if there's systemic racism, which is absurd um, and racist, but he doesn't even notice. And that is truly exactly what he's done for four years. He has not noticed the many indiscretions of his president. And Pete Buttigieg highlighted this beautifully this morning on Fox News. Some insight into what she might say to justify why she was for Medicare for all then and is not for it now, for example. Well, there's a classic parlor game of trying to find a little bit of daylight between running mates. And if people want to play that game, we could look into why a, an evangelical Christian like uh, Mike Pence wants to be on a ticket with a president caught with a porn star or how he feels about the uh, uh, immigration policy that he called unconstitutional before he decided to team up with Donald Trump. I love that the way he turned that around, but I also think it shows exactly who Mike Pence is. Another soulless Republican who doesn't care that his boss is corrupt, that he's racist, that he's sexist. In fact, he supports those very same things too. And he has put up with them and lied for him and, and apologized for him without reservation. And that's who Mike Pence is. He can have a fly on his head for two minutes and he doesn't notice. And the fly notices that he's a pile of shit and that's where he wants to stay. <laughs> That's right. You're, you're I, welcome, I have Mom. to say, Pete, Pete Buttigieg, that was a master class. I, I watched uh, two clips on that yeah. and I was like stunned at how casually he can sink the knife in. 
Well, let's because in the backdrop, the gigantic, um, <laughs> the uh, gigantic COVID positive elephant in the room. Exactly. Okay. So since we did our last podcast, of course, Thursday night we got the news that that not only was Hope Hicks uh, COVID positive, but so was the president and the first lady. Side note: I have no idea how Melania is doing. By the way, no one, and including. Uh, her awful shitty pre- uh, husband is is saying anything about Melania that I've heard. Yeah, he probably has no idea how she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> given the steroids and drugs he's on, he may be saying, "Who? Um, no. Yeah, I don't. I don't know her. She may have gotten me coffee at some point." So he he came down with COVID, uh, is off to Walter Reed, and then we get the whole saga over the weekend of. The White House doctor took me a while to figure out that's who that was. I kept thinking this was a Walter Reed doctor, but no, it's the White House physician who obviously can only keep his job if he does exactly what Trump tells him to do. So we had on Saturday him come out and essentially say, no big deal. We just took him to Walter Reed for, you know, whatever, Um, just precautionary. He's fine. He's doing well. And then and then Mark Meadows, this is a real puzzle. Goes off and tells reporters, no, no, his his vitals were very concerning, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, so Mark we, Meadows had a, a moment of truth there. I don't know what happened. <laughs> he gave him some truth serum, and he's like, oh, I better tell the reporters what's really going on. I think it's actually more insidious than that, because uh, uh, Boehner actually had a piece on, on Mark Meadows, and evidently he has a track record of completely backstabbing people that even Republicans don't exactly know what to do. He, he will just absolutely go off the rails and, and, and rat buck them, you know? So who knows what his, if he's trying to position himself for some future, you know, post Trump thing anyway. So we have this bizarre weekend where we have no idea if what the doctors are telling us is true. And in fact, the doctor even admits at one point that he is making this most optimistic kind of rosy scenario and we all start to figure out that's for the president. It's not for us. It, he's actually because the, the president doesn't want him going out there saying exactly how sick he is. And then you flash forward to Monday. He tweets, Trump tweets that he's going to go back to the White House, which he ends up doing, says that COVID is he feels better than he's felt in 20 years, uh, says, don't be afraid of COVID. I mean, all these, by the way, there were some, I posted some of this, but there were some people on Twitter, doctors and nurses who were almost in tears. You know, they were coming off their shift of dealing with COVID patients. And they're like, how dare you do that to people? The visual of him huffing his way up to the top of that fucking balcony and then barely able to breathe as he takes off his mask and him thinking that was a good visual I even forgot about him doing his little drive-by in the in the beast, you know, with the with the Secret Service agent in full PPE. I mean, this has been, I mean, just in in a period of what seventy two hours was just an unbelievable, another shit show where we have no idea, and we still don't know exactly how the health of the president. We um, do know that we do know because they've pieced together some things that it's highly likely he knew on Saturday that he had tested positive at the Amy Coney Barrett coming out party. No, no. So that's right. So when he went to the debate, um, we also learned in the intermediate time that, that Trump doesn't like the tests. So he has uh, essentially, I think, again, browbeat his physicians into not testing him. But as several people have said, we don't know when his last negative test was because he, and so he and his entire family went to that debate in Cleveland 
And Chris Wallace was pissed about this. They, they refused to wear masks and they, they essentially lied about all of them being tested before they did the debate. So this is a man, I mean, uh, Pod Save America was talking about this. This is a homicidal maniac, essentially. Somebody who's perfectly willing to endanger the lives of thousands of people. He went to a fundraiser knowing he was COVID positive, yeah, sat at he- a table indoors with these wealthy donors, I'm like, well, you fuckers, you get, you deserve everything is coming to you because you're there. If you're right. that stupid, you know. But the but the point is that he is willing to infect even the people who help him, his loyalists, the people who he would presumably like. Although we know Trump doesn't really like anybody, but he will infect literally anyone. He doesn't care about anybody, so he is not going to care. <laughs> About the average American, the average voter, the, especially the average, you know, Trump supporter, he doesn't really, he really doesn't care other than to get their vote, but their health, their well-being, laws that will provide for them. No, no, doesn't give a damn. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the polling since the weekend, since knowing about his COVID positive had not helped him. You know, there was, there were, there were these people who were thinking he was faking it to get sympathy um, and that didn't make a lot of sense, just given his, his clear belief that we, you know, being sick is weakness. So we have this deranged president who has, you know, is hopped up on drugs and now assumes that he's, he's healed and everything I've been reading, I don't know what you're reading about this is we may be looking, I mean, Trump's not out of the woods yet. I mean, there've been a lot of people, including Herman Cain, <laughs> who thought that they were getting better. And Herman Cain, of course, ended up dying of COVID that he got at a Trump rally. I've never seen anything like this. I I have no idea what to expect for today. (laughs) Right. I mean, I wake up every morning and check my phone messages, hoping the New York Times app has told me that Trump is back in the hospital. Yeah. I Yeah. I I don't even feel bad about that. So there. Well, you know, somebody posted in the Washington Post, and I thought this was really accurate, is that, you know, the initial response was a mild bit of sympathy. I mean, there were a lot of people saying, I don't wish this on on anybody. Uh, I mean, he's a jerk. He brought it on himself, all that kind of stuff. But then he turned around and just threw that back in America's face. What little sympathy there was with that drive-by endangering Secret Service agents. And then going back to the White House, where every every doctor I've seen says, I don't care if he's feeling better. He still needs to be secluded. He is a COVID-positive patient who is shedding the virus as we speak. And he And is- 34 people at the White House are now COVID-positive, thanks to our bastard of a president. It's unbelievable. I mean, it is. And, you know, the what the Joint Chiefs are are quarantining. Um, so it's a national security issue. We have I mean, it's just it's just an absolute nightmare. And I have to think. Everybody says and they're not wrong, you know, uh, four years ago at this time, we had the the tape about him grabbing women by the genitals and everybody thought he was done. This is a different world, though, I have to say. Uh, in 2016, I'm not getting ahead of myself and I'm not counting horses or chickens or whatever, whatever herd you want. (laughs) But, you know, in 2016, Trump was this novelty and he was, he was, you know, now he's a known kind of factor and this melting down on a daily basis is clearly driving. I mean, the polls in terms of people over 65 
Yes. Biden is way ahead in those numbers in a way that we haven't seen in years. Right. Um, and there's a couple things I've, I've read about that. One, of course, has been the COVID response and Trump's utter lack of concern and of their vulnerable population. And, you know, this, this sort of message they had there for a while that you should be willing to die for the younger people. So open up the economy. You know, that, I don't think that went over too well with people over 65. And then, sadly, perhaps, but given that the other option for many of those people to vote for is another old white man <laughs> is more palatable to them than Hillary was. And so we're seeing Trump losing yeah. that crowd in droves really yeah. compared to 2016. Yeah. Do you, how do you think in terms of, I know Jamie Harrison did a really good job in the debate. Everything I've read says, obviously Lindsay is, is scared. Um, I'm just curious as somebody who wants to donate, you know, money in, effective races right. i mean it's an effective race don't get me wrong is he how is is jamie seems to be fairly well funded is that correct he he is and it's helping because he's been getting some national attention as he's gained slowly uh some percentage points on lindsey graham and that has all been his own doing i mean he has beat the pavement around south carolina he's just been such an effective campaigner speaking at lots of events, you know, Zooming, go, you know, meeting with, with yeah. voters virtually. He's just done an amazing job because he truly does know and care about South Carolina. This is where he comes from. And he has been in this state working for this state, you know, pretty much his whole adult life that he, that he could be. And so he's gained a ton of respect just for who he is, you know. And then as Lindsey Graham has just attached himself to an idiot, more and more people who are kind of in between are like, oh, come on. And so Jamie Harrison, he, he caught up within a couple percentage points all on his own, quite frankly. A lot of, a lot of even, even Pod Save America and their Vote Save America and all their funds to help. They haven't really put South Carolina in the adopt a state program until recently, you know, telling people like, if you want to donate to campaigns, they're going to, could make a difference in swing states. Here you go. And so now that he's gotten some of that attention, there's been a lot more money coming to him and he's been mm -hmm. able to put up, put up ads, but it's 48, 48, you know, in terms of yeah. percentage. Right. And of course, Lindsay, part of Lindsay's shtick right now is to play the victim. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have any money and I'm not, and all that is, is to get Trump's attention, to get more, you know, the GOP PAC money into South Carolina. So I would say, you know, if you if you don't have any state that you know you want to give to, South Carolina is a great race. Jamie okay. Harrison's a great candidate because he's going to need to compete with what will inevitably be a lot of Trump money. Because one of the things we didn't talk about, of course, because we can't cover everything, Lori. We cannot cover everything. We, you know, we'd we have can't to have cover the last hundred years that just occurred <laughs> in the last five days. Unbelievable, right. this this administration. But the other thing that happened is that the other day, Trump, all of a sudden, I can't remember which day it is. I don't even know what day it is. I know what year it is. I know what fucking year we're in. That's all I know. I but know there, because 2020 has lasted a century. That's yes, all we right. can say. So one of these days, years, months, whatever, uh, Trump actually just announced unilaterally that uh, negotiations over COVID relief were off the table. <laughs> and the stock market tanked. And of course he freaked out and then said, no, they're back on today. He said that, 
But what was interesting is those vulnerable Republicans, Susan Collins and Lindsey Graham is now in that category. And Lindsey Graham said it's a mistake to cut off negotiations on COVID relief. And that's not, of course, because he's a brave, you know, principled human. We know that he's a he's a he's a pile of shit, but he's vulnerable and he's saying, oh, crap, we're going to be going into this election with, you know, Jamie Harrison able to say, hey, Trump's, you know, Trump's buddy, Lindsey Graham is sitting here and they're not doing anything for you guys. They're not helping you. A right. Bit, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. And Lindsey Graham, I think, also sees that, you know, the guy he's attached to is likely going down. I mean, yeah. We don't know for sure, but right. you know he's he's definitely not helping himself. Every single day, he does something ridiculous and insane, which he's been doing for four years. But yes. now, in his COVID brain, it's it's he's turned it up a notch. He is really off the rails. <laughs> right. I mean, he has cultivated this world where the only people around him tell him, "You're brilliant. You're the smartest person I've ever met." And three of those people. <laughs> have COVID, by the way, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway, uh, Stephen Miller caught COVID. Oh my, the schadenfreude has been unbelievable, but we can't even take advantage of it because, you know, Trump is out there saying something else crazy. Yeah. We have to react to that. Right. I couple of things I want to go back because we shifted and I wanted to say part of Trump's little tirade and, and his, you know, his little, two little, his videos he's done, these four minute what you call it, propaganda videos, <laughs> Mussolini videos, um, where he, he's been talking about the, the drugs and, you know, this is a cure. Uh, that was today, right? The, <laughs> the, the cure for COVID Possible. with the remdesivir and the Regeneron cocktail that he's gotten. Just a couple of notes about that. First of all, that little cocktail he got would not have been possible without stem cell research from fetuses which will be impossible if his Supreme Court nominee gets confirmed and overturns Roe v. Wade and we, you know, and yep. all this just goes away, even though it is behind the actual drugs that he's taking that are helping yep. him fight off COVID. By the way, not a cure, but they are meant to help get over it quicker. Second thing, he has a minor stake in this company. So you know, for him to be out there promoting it and saying it's a blessing, this is all about his financial stake. The thing on his doctor, we, we've been making jokes about it more than we've been noticing the true danger here. That's the kind of thing we should know how our president is doing. I mean, obviously, we don't have to know his chart, his medical chart. But when the president of the United States is incapacitated and in the hospital, there should be truthful information coming out. I mean, it's vital. It is vital to know whether he is capable of doing the things he is given the duty to do, yeah. not the least of which being the nuclear codes. Right. And while I don't want Mike Pence in charge of those either, um, the fact that he can convince his doctor to go do a 180 and say, the president's doing great, he's doing fine, he hasn't been on oxygen in the last four hours, <laughs> is scary. I mean, this is the fascist state that Troy Paddock warned us about. I mean, this is, this is the government using propaganda to lie to us to get a message out so that we don't know what's really going on. And in this case, it's dire, it could be, 
I mean, Mike Pence needs to be getting tested every day and we need to see the results of that and yep. know that he is definitely negative because I could totally see this administration lying about him because they desperately do not want Nancy Pelosi to be the next in line. Nope, uh, you're right. And one of the things I have said uh, over the last whatever time um is that one of the things Democrats are going to have to do, because one of the things we have recognized is the fragility of our democracy. How much of our democracy is based on good faith, that these norms are there, that because most people don't violate them, or if they violate them and are called on it, then they back off. We have a, a president who is perfectly willing to just toss all of those to the wind and do whatever the fuck he wants to do. And we're going to have to do some things we're going to have to hardwire some reforms and I don't know how it's going to be done. I mean, honestly, I don't know. And that, that's a real daunting task, but you're going to have to have some kind of independent watchdog that can't be fired by the president, you know, or by one of his toadies that is overseeing the position in the white house. We're going to have to have, we're going to have to have a, a ironclad law that you have to have your tax returns revealed before you can actually get on the ballot. And here's the thing that Democrats have got to keep remembering to do over the next four weeks, and that is to not let Trump's reimagination of this scenario become the narrative. He has somehow made it out to be that he's a hero for getting COVID, and it's it was a blessing from God. And thank goodness, he could do that so he could show us how great our healthcare system is, you know, especially when you have your own private helicopter and your private doctors and your, you know, hospital wing with all the latest and greatest experimental drugs, which of course applies to no one else. None of that would have had to have been possible or would have had to have happened if Trump had done his job nine months ago. In January, and Kamala pointed this out, and I wish she'd hammered it even more, but she did yeah. a good job. They knew at the end of January how bad this could be, and they didn't do anything. They did nothing. He, he didn't even close the borders effectively at that moment. But ultimately, he didn't do any warning or preparation for Americans, knowing how bad it was going to spread. And then when it did come out, Two months later, he still did nothing. And he's continued to do nothing to the point that we're going to be in this limbo of kind of shut down, probably having to shut certain things down, having to go into quarantine, things, regular life not getting back to normal, people not having jobs, people not having health care. All of this is because of his lack of response. Yeah. So his plight and and this little situation that he went through is his own damn fault. Are you okay so I don't feel one bit sorry. I never did. <laughs> and I don't feel like we should even feel like, oh, that's too bad. I hope, you know, he doesn't suffer. Yes. Yes, he should suffer because 210,000 people died while he got great medical care and every possible steroid in the world so that he could be a little bit better and give a propaganda video. Yeah. But other people died alone, and he doesn't give a fuck about anybody else. All right, I'm fine. <laughs> that was excellent, <laughs> by the way. That was that was that was a first class. That was a first class rant. I'm I am impressed. We are hearing. I'm sure you've read some of these same reports. There are staffers who are pissed. 
There are yeah. people in the campaign who are pissed. There are donors who are pissed. I mean, there are a lot of people who are pissed off at this casual disregard for their lives. 34 people at the White House have COVID. They still are not going to mandate masks. They still say that is a personal choice. There was a great quote. I'll end with this. It was in an op-ed in the Inc. related to when he had to get in the car and have his Secret Service drive him around and talk to his neo-Nazi supporters outside Walter Reed. And... It just sums up every single thing about who he is and how this coronavirus pandemic has revealed exactly how inhuman this man is. So the quote, he hosted a super spreader event to honor a justice who would have the government control your body, but refuse the duty to care for it. And then when the virus he helped go around came around to him, he was availed the health care he will deny others, financed by taxes that he refuses to pay. And I just think that tells you exactly what we have in this man. It's time for a state sale, a podcast on American democracy, because America is better than this.